Hello and welcome to the Stock Podcast. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the only investing podcast that gives everyone the chance to hear public company CEOs and CFOs describe their business and provide the investment case for their company. In this episode, the Stock Podcast is really excited to bring you an interview with Chad Plotkin, the Chief Financial Officer at NRG Yield, ticker symbol NYLD. NRG Yield is part of a small subsector of the energy space called Yield Co's. In fact, NRG Yield was the first publicly traded Yield Co with an IPO or initial public offering back in 2013. Chad does a much better job telling the NRG Yield story, but it's probably worth providing just a little bit of market color. Yield Co's came into being at a time when the midstream sector was experiencing a proliferation of MLP IPOs. Most, if not all, of the MLPs that went public during the late 2000s and early teens had general partners that possessed a unique mechanism or cash flow mechanism called IDRs, which stands for Incentive Distribution Rights. Now, I'm going to attempt to summarize a few aspects of the midstream sector and a small bit of the history, but if you really want a more well-rounded perspective, you should definitely listen to the Chris Signolfi interview where one of the top Wall Street analysts, midstream analysts, gives an overview of the space. But an IDR was essentially a disproportionate claim the general partners had to the incremental cash flows that an MLP was able to generate. The reason the claim to incremental cash flow or distributions was disproportionate was to incentivize the growth of the MLP, which in theory would lower the cost of capital for an MLP. So if you think about it, if you're a dividend plus growth type of investor, an MLP paying a 5% distribution or dividend and that distribution is growing at 8%, the total return for that MLP should be around 13%. But if the MLP is growing at its distribution double digits, the yield required to achieve the same total return should theoretically be quite a bit lower. From an investor's perspective, the faster the company grows, the more willing they are to accept a lower yield. From the GP's perspective, the faster they can grow, their cost of capital should be lower. Now, there are different types of MLP companies out there, and the sector has evolved substantially over the past few years. So keep that in mind as I describe this perspective on what was going on. Midstream companies achieve growth different ways. Some grow organically, some grow through strategic combinations, and some are called drop-down stories. To make my point, I'm going to focus on drop-down stories, and in particular, E&P drop-down stories. I'm sorry if this is a little basic, but bear with me for a second. EMP stands for Exploration and Production. So we're talking about companies like EOG, Anadarko, Apache, Oxy, etc. Rather than have a pure play midstream company build, own, and operate the pipelines and the processing facilities and the other infrastructure that's required to deliver oil and gas and natural gas liquids to market, the EMP sometimes would build and own the assets themselves. But after some time, an EMP's portfolio of midstream assets can get pretty big. During the late 2000s, EMPs were focused on production growth and buying acreage in the hottest shale plays in North America. The funding needs were massive, and EMP management teams saw a path toward monetizing, but still owning, or at least having a controlling stake in part of their portfolio. Here's how it worked. Assume for a minute that IWTB is an EMP with a big backlog of midstream assets. 
I carve out, say, 25% of the IWTB midstream portfolio and offer those assets to the investing public in an IPO. I also promise to sell or drop, hence the name drop down, the remaining 75% of the portfolio to the MLP over a period of, say, seven years. And I also estimate that that should deliver a distribution growth rate of between 18 and 22% over that period. Also assume that my average cost of capital is in the low double digits. Because I'm promising such a lofty growth rate, investors are probably willing to accept, call it a 3% yield, to own the shares of the newly created MLP called IWTB Midstream. The distribution yield or cost of equity is very important in this context because even if IWTB Midstream's cost of debt is 15%, A transaction in which IWTB Oil & Gas, the sponsor, sells assets to IWTB Midstream, the drop-down MLP, when the cost of equity for said MLP is in the low single digits, those types of transactions will still be really accretive for me, IWTB, the oil and gas producer. In addition to the cash that I get up front in the sale process, I also get a disproportionate claim on the cash flow through the IDRs that I just mentioned. And because I'm the general partner of IWTB Midstream, I'll always own a controlling stake in the Midstream company. A great deal for IWTB, the oil and gas producer, and a great deal for yield investors, assuming the general partner consistently delivers on the growth rate. Now back to NRG Yield and the other yield co's. Over the years, NRG Energy, not yield, but NRG Energy, built one of the largest portfolios of renewable energy assets in the U.S., I won't speculate on how closely NRG management was watching the midstream space, but everyone could see the accretive transactions that were taking place between oil and gas companies and MLPs. NRG didn't have massive funding needs, at least not outside of the renewable energy sector, and at the time, NRG was really pursuing the growth of their contracted asset portfolio more than anything else. But the company saw the potential to do a number of things with the cash it could generate by creating a yield vehicle, like buy back shares, pay down debt, make acquisitions, or increase the growth rate in the renewable energy business. Like some great parties, a bad actor comes in and ruins things for everyone else. I'm talking about Sun Edison, which, if you haven't listened to the Pattern Energy interview, put that episode on the list to learn more about one of the biggest bankruptcies in the renewable energy sector, and one of the reasons why sentiment in the Yieldco space continues to suffer. But the reason why I chose to describe midstream drop-down stories in the context of NRG Yield is that they are similar in some respects. Yieldcos are, generally speaking, drop-down stories. Both asset classes have long-term contracts, and Midstream experiences some fluctuations in volumes just as renewable energy is an intermittent power resource, meaning cash flows are somewhat subject to when the sun is shining and when the wind is blowing. But some yield codes, NRG yield included, are different in some really important ways. First, NRG yield was created without IDRs. Very important point. Second, Renewable energy projects are typically financed with non-recourse amortizing term loans. And third, yield codes are, at least for tax filing purposes, a little bit more investor friendly. The absence of IDRs is extremely important from a cost of capital perspective. I won't get into the nuances here, but 
But once the distribution grows to a certain level, any yield vehicle that has IDRs will at some point in time hit what's called the high splits. Again, I don't want to get into a technical explanation of how it works, but just know that when a yield vehicle hits the high splits, it becomes much more difficult to grow cash flows, or at least the cash flows that the limited partners or the economic interest holders in a business are entitled to. And when the growth rate becomes impaired, a yield investment's yield or cost of equity goes up. So going back to the yield plus growth approach to valuation, if the dividend yield is 3% when the foreseeable growth rate was around 20%, what happens to the share price and the yield if dividend or distribution growth drops into the low single digits? I think you get the picture. So with no IDRs, I guess you could say NRG yield was rolled out on a really solid foundation, at least from a cost of capital perspective. The debt financing dynamic in the renewable energy sector is also really important. If you think about infrastructure investments, we're talking about assets that have very long asset lives. Pipelines, electric transmission lines, tollways, ports, and even conventional electric generation assets that are built today will more than likely still be here 30, 40 years down the road. And it's due to the long-lived nature of these assets that the companies that build them issue long-term bonds, which oftentimes get refinanced, but ultimately have to be paid back. Renewable energy assets are a little bit different. Like most infra infrastructure projects, a wind or solar facility starts out as a development project. Project developers spend years moving a project from concept to reality. Reality is achieved once the project is built, but the decision to build is almost always made after a power purchase agreement is signed. PPAs are take-or-pay arrangements between an off-taker, which in most cases is an investment-grade utility, and the owner of the project, in this case NRG Yield. NRG Yield then goes out and gets a term loan to finance part of the project. The term loan amortizes just like your mortgage does, meaning that you pay interest as well as part of the principal, and the principal component gets bigger over time. So these term loans are anywhere from 10 to 20 years, and the duration of the loan is very often tied to the duration of the PPA contract. This is what's so compelling about NRG yield and other yield co's. NRG yield is constantly delevering or paying down debt. You'll hear Chad talk about this more in detail during the interview, but NRG yield actually pays down more debt than it returns cash to shareholders every year. Sure, one could make the argument that a wind or solar facility doesn't hold the same value after 25 years like a pipeline or a transmission wire does, but that value certainly isn't zero. No one really knows how long the wind turbines or solar panels being built today will ultimately last because the technology is evolving, it's getting better. But on top of that, a big portion of NRG Yield's asset portfolio includes conventional generation assets, which time has shown us Conventional assets last a really long time. The point I'm trying to make is this. If you're someone like me who values free cash flow above all else, and if you consider the fact that NRG Yield's free cash flow profile might be two times greater than its cash available for distribution, or CAFD, NRG Yield's true free cash flow yield is somewhere north of 15%, which is pretty interesting stuff if you ask me. The last point I wanted to make with respect to the difference between yield codes and MLPs is corporate structure. Again, 
Chad talks about this, but it's another important point. Yield codes are C-corps, which means that at the end of the year, when you're filing your tax return and you've received dividends from a C-corp, you get a 1099. They're super easy to file. Most of us have done them. But if you're an MLP investor, that means you're a limited partner in a business. And that also means you've probably received and filed a K-1. They're a bit more complicated from a tax filing perspective. And actually, some of the big mutual funds have a hard time wrapping their heads around them. For me, the tax filing issues certainly aren't a deal breaker from an investment standpoint. I own units in several master limited partnerships, but it's something that every individual investor should consider. Now, I'm not certain, but I'd like to believe that Kirk Andrews, NRG's CFO, and Chad Plotkin, the soon-to-be CFO of NRG Yield, recognized these dynamics when they created the first renewable energy drop-down story and structured it in such a way that was very shareholder-friendly. I would like to emphasize a few things before we get to the interview. From the perspective of an investor, I'm personally not averse to the drop-down investment thesis with or without IDRs. There are still some drop-down stories out there and some that I think are quite compelling. For me, it depends on the valuation and whether or not I trust management to do the right thing for investors. I think that's critical. I'd also like to emphasize that while the yield plus growth approach to valuing a company's shares can be helpful at a very high level, it's not the best method of determining the intrinsic value of a company's shares. And I think the discussion around energy yields amortizing debt highlights that fact. Financial highlights before we get to the interview. Energy yield share price at the time of this podcast was about $18, and the dividend yield was just about 6.9%. Energy yield has a market capitalization of $3.3 billion, cash on hand of about $170 million, and total debt of about $6 billion, putting the total enterprise value at just about $9.5 billion. There are five Wall Street analysts that have recommendations on the stock, three with buys and two with holds and an average price target of just over $20 a share. So with that, let's get to the interview with NRG Yields CFO, Chad Plotkin. Chad, thank you very much for coming on to the program. It's an honor to have you on and I I just really appreciate it. So thank you very much for, for agreeing to an interview. You bet. So if you wouldn't mind, just start by talking about your background. How did you get into the industry and, and how did you end up at NRG Yield? Sure. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I, you know, I've had a, uh, my career thus far has expanded about, I guess, a little over 20 years now. I've been at the, within NRG Energy's businesses for a little over 10 years, so about half of my professional career at this juncture. Most of my background really prior to the last, call it six years or so, seven years, had been in corporate development, M&A type of activity, uh, new business development on the principal side. Um, And that spanned all the way from when I began my career, uh, you know, in the late 90s at at Enron Corporation in their analyst associate program. And then through a couple of startup entities, one uh, outside of the energy space, was startup company that was during the advent of retail energy deregulation. Um, and then sort of slowly migrated myself into a variety of roles. And then in 2007, joined NRG and M&A. Since that time, uh, I spent a number of years in NRG's M&A group focused on acquisitions and divestitures. 
and then in uh, 2000, late 2011, and then early 2012, I actually became NRG's head of investor relations. And that was a role that I did up until 2015. And that also included helping support the initial public offering of NRG yield. And then um, after that, a couple other stints. But in 2016, I assumed the role of the head of finance for yield, reporting into the then current chief financial officer. And then at the end of 2016, I became the chief financial officer of NRG Yield. So could you describe NRG Yield? What What is a Yield Co? And could you also just sort of highlight some of the, well, the tax efficient nature of the business? Sure. I think, you know, as we think about Yield Co's, maybe I'll start with the basic premise, which is what you really have at the Yield Co is what you said is a tax efficient infrastructure investment for investors to have an opportunity to really own an interest in projects in the renewable energy and the power sector all the way downstream, where really the whole capital allocation philosophy we have as a company is very much aligned to the projects. Long-term contracted assets, um, relatively predictable cash flow, with our whole objective of maximizing distributions to our investors. The way we do this from a tax-efficient perspective is effectively we're an up-C structure. So the idea of an up-C structure is you basically create a C-corp whose really only investment or primary holding is a partnership interest. And the way that these tax attributes or the tax efficiency works is the partnerships, because of the nature of renewable energy assets and the way we finance our projects, generate um, a fair amount of taxable losses at a partnership level and we're able to basically use those, those tax attributes or those tax losses to offset corporate incomes when we pay our dividend. For the most part, dividends received by our investors is treated as a return of capital versus dividend income. And as you might um, expect, the benefit of that is that you're basically deferring taxes until the point in time you sell and you get a further tax efficiency because at the time you sell, ideally you're looking at long-term capital gains against the remaining basis in your investment versus having to pay current income when you're paying your, or when you're receiving your dividends. So thank you very much for the explanation on, uh, on how yield codes work and what the benefits are to investors. So could you provide us with a history of NRG yield and also tell us about the transaction with GIP or global infrastructure partners that was announced earlier this year? So that's a big question, Nate. So I'll, I'll try to do it as promptly as possible or as quickly as possible. So, <laughs> okay. you know, I, I've, I've been at NRG for, or in the NRG complex, if you will, for more than 10 years. And if you go back through that time, you know, uh, NRG Yield's current sponsor, NRG Energy, was really an early participant in the development of new generation. And that really included both renewables and what I'll refer to as brownfield development or the repowering of existing generation sites that NRG had with brand new assets. And what you were finding through this period of time is about really across both those areas, many opportunities came with the benefit of long-term contracts procured through ISOs or other procurement processes to really help support new development as it, it, it created a vehicle where new entrants or uh, parties such as NRG could, could go out and finance those projects effectively. Now, the challenge, though, was that while this was a great attribute, it just really wasn't necessarily perfect for somebody like NRG or other entrants as, at the end of the day, cost of capital be, continued to become increasingly important to succeed in that business. 
And, you know, as you know, NRG, and you go back historically, when you're a, when you're a platform that was sub-investment grade and was very commodity-centric, that's just not a recipe for low cost of capital in the market. Now, that's not to say NRG didn't have success. NRG actually did have a fair amount of success in deploying capital. But by, 20, by 2013, so you're going back, you know, almost five years ago, you know, to this month, it was, you know, it was obviously clear that the markets weren't rewarding NRG for any success it had. And as I said, five years ago to this month, NRG yield was born through an IPO, which really was driven by NRG trying to, to realize value in its then contracted generation portfolio, really the only area of growth in the sector, which was renewable energy, and really create a new investment for uh, investors that value total return or dividend and dividend growth. And I'd say if you think about over the past five years and despite some market volatility in there, it's hard to argue with uh, that the business hasn't had success because, you know, CAF D since the IPO has almost tripled to this year. Wow. So now is, you know, we move forward and many of the same principles of the model really still hold. It, it was clear for everybody that, you know, there was going to be an evolution required where sponsorship began to move towards more well-capitalized entities and ones that could handle the kind of capital requirements for a large-scale development business. And, you know, Nate, you, you know the NRG story. I won't get into all those dynamics, which, but, which included an activist campaign, you know, a year ago now. But, you know, needless to say, I think NRG really came to this, that same conclusion around needing a new owner. And in February of this year, NRG announced the sale of its stake in NRG Yield, as well as its renewable development and operations platform to global infrastructure partners is one of the largest infrastructure funds in the world with over $45 billion under management. And, you know, from our perspective at Energy Yield, we just couldn't be more ecstatic with GIP as a sponsor as they really deliver just about everything we could have hoped for in a future sponsor. Yeah. And so what is GIP's long-term strategy as it relates to Energy Yield? But uh, it's a good question. And I, and I know it's, um, it's clearly, you know, something that our investors are really wanting to hear from GIP and, I think from our perspective, once we close the transaction, um, there certainly be a little bit more color that can be put forth. I think maybe if I could just offer my perspective at, from Yield, I think as we talked about having GIP as a sponsor was, you know, we obviously couldn't be more pleased with this. Now, the way I look at it is, is, you know, having a new sponsor who, if you look at what they proposed to NRG, which was to roughly invest in cash about $1.4 billion dollars. You know, anytime somebody puts that kind of cash to work, I think it's reasonable to assume that, you know, in order for an entity like GIP to earn a return on that investment, they're obviously going to need the platform to perform well. And whether or not, and as I think about the, compo the, the composition of what they acquired with the development business along with NRG Yield, it's just hard for me not to imagine that in order for that $1.4 to earn, you know, a sufficient return, you know, GIP is going to work with us very constructively to uh, generate long-term value creation. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your perspective on that. So something I find really compelling about NRG Yield's asset portfolio in the context of Yield Co's is that you have such a diversified asset portfolio. You have renewables, wind, solar, and some conventional generation assets with long-term contracts. In your own words, could you describe NRG Yield's asset portfolio and the benefits of diversification? Sure, Nate. Let me first start just with a foundational point. So as an organization, we're strong believers in diversification. By diversification, I mean across asset class, technology type, geography, and importantly, cash flow contribution. 
for us, diversification really is a means for de-risking the platform by really just not concentrating in one area or importantly by creating offsets to items that can actually impact cash flow for things like renewable energy resource or forced outages across the fleet. Now, this is of course important not only for our equity holders, but also for our discussions with the rating agencies as we think about the credit quality of our balance sheet. And lastly, by having capabilities to operate and value different kinds of asset classes, another benefit we really see is that it really gives us the ability to look across opportunities, not just in one asset class. We have the ability to look at acquisitions across a myriad of different asset classes, which obviously is beneficial for us as we think about growing the platform. Now, with that, let's just think about some of the numbers. If we look at our portfolio today, NRG Yield owns or has an ownership interest in approximately 7,000 megawatts of thermal equivalent contracted generation assets. This includes 3,600 megawatts of renewable generation comprised of both utility scale solar and wind projects, as well as what we refer to as distributed generation or behind a meter uh, solar projects. The company also owns a little over 1,900 megawatts of large scale conventional gas projects primarily located in California. And finally, we have a very unique franchise that we call Thermal, or in other industry parlance, District Energy, which is nearly 1,500 megawatts on a thermal equivalent basis. If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, just visit stockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes, and depending on the membership that you purchase, You can even have access to the transcripts. So just go to the website, thestockpodcast.com and click membership at the top. Also, if you really enjoyed the music, you should check out Danheim. That's D-A-N-H-E-I-M. Mike at Danheim gave me permission to use the music for the podcast. And so a huge thanks to Danheim. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.